Good morning. It is uh, 11.07, and um, I'm, I'm going to call an audible. I'm going to get to the unions and the automobile industry here in just a minute. Uh, it, it's, it's infuriating that uh, the Department of Labor was created in the first place, much less that they encouraged this behavior. But I'll get to that in a minute. I was a Republican uh, uh, for years, and I, I felt a little out of place. There were some things they were doing that I didn't understand. And I am now a recovering Republican. Part of the reason for that uh, was the late, great Harry Brown. The other part of the reason was uh, a guy named Peter Christ. So I'm going to set the scenario for you. I'm doing the morning show in uh, up in New York State. And we're talking about this drug bust with uh, the prosecutor from, uh, from the county, the Onondaga County prosecutor. And my sidekick, Rod Carr, terrific police officer and um, I'm just you know like all the other drug warriors uh, going after these uh, drug dealers and and I get a call from a guy who said I, I used to be a, uh, you know I'm a retired uh, police captain from uh, a city just outside Buffalo New York and I want to I want to tell you you're wrong and I'll debate you I'll debate all of you and I said bring it on and we set it up, and the next week he came into the studio, and we never laid a glove on him. We never laid a glove on him. The host of this program loves a good, hearty, honest debate, and loved it then, too. I, I could not believe how wrong I was about the war on drugs. Well, I found this audio uh, of Peter Christ. Uh, it's an interview that he did, and I wanted to bring it to you. This is the guy that really enlightened me on the war on drugs. See what you think. Here we go. Peter Christ. There really is a push now nationwide, uh, some calling for the legalization of drugs. And our guest, Peter Christ, is a former police captain. You are in favor of legalizing drugs. And some would be aghast to hear a former cop is actually saying, let's favor the legalization of drugs. Why do you think it should happen? Okay, one thing real quick. I'm a retired police captain, so I spend 20 years, and they send me a check every month. So I just <laughs> wanted to point that out. Uh, yes, I'm one of the co-founders of LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. And why we came together as an organization in 2002 is because we see the failure of the, polit of the policy of prohibition in our society. Uh, I was talking to somebody earlier today, and they said, well, you think these gangsters will just become honest people if we legalize drugs? And my answer to them was, no, the gangsters will stay gangsters, but most of the people that are involved in this illegal trade, you really wouldn't classify as gangsters. They're more like opportunists. To give you a quick example, uh, in 1919, there was a homicide rate in this country. We instituted alcohol prohibition in 1920. The homicide rate in this country climbed every year until it peaked in 1933 when we legalized alcohol. And by 1937, the homicide rate in America was back down to the level it was at before alcohol prohibition started. And I want to point out one other thing about 1937. That was the deepest, darkest period of the Depression in this country. So there was a lot of angry people, but they weren't killing themselves anymore because we took the product away that they were killing themselves over. Legalization of drugs is not about the drugs. It is about the gangsterism and terrorism that is supported by the illegal marketplace in this country. So, I mean, where do you begin? Because some people just out of the gate are going, 
whoa, they're still trying to wrap their head around that a retired police captain wants drugs, very criminalized, now to be made legal. It just doesn't make sense. <laughs> well, I can understand that, and it's because I think they think the issue is about the drugs. And as I said before, it isn't. It's about the crime and violence. Law enforcement was designed by a guy by the name of Robert Peel over in London, England in the early 1800s. Uh, that's why they call them Bobbies, by the way, Robert Peel. And he designed an organization of law enforcement that would protect people from other people doing them harm. When you institute a prohibition like we have with drugs in this country, what you are doing is not protecting people from other people. You are attempting to use law enforcement to protect people from themselves. Protecting you from yourself is a function of family, church, education, and the healthcare system. It never is and never should have been intended to be a law enforcement function. We are out there enforcing morality when we enforce drug laws, and that is not our job. We were not trained to do it. We are not capable of doing it. And if anything else, you see the failure of it. We've been doing this for over 40 years since Nixon kicked it off, and the drugs are more available, purer quality, and cheaper than they've ever been before on the streets of America. And we've had 40,000 deaths in Mexico in the last five years fighting over this drug trade. Plus, we've destroyed more lives than, drug have, than the drugs have by incarcerating people and hanging felony convictions on them, and denying them college educations, denying them jobs for no good reason. And one other thing I want to point out, just in case people think that if we do it hard enough, this is actually going to be doable to make drugs go away. We have the largest prison system on the planet. And I would like to point out one of the most efficient prison systems on the planet. And in that huge, efficient prison system, we do not have one drug-free prison in America. And if you cannot keep drugs out of prison, who is going to be delusional enough to think you can keep them out of a free society. Or a high school for that matter. Or a high school. Peter, <laughs> th this is another classic um, argument uh, that, that's very much like Einstein's theory of insanity. You know, you can think you can do things the same way and get a different result. Uh, I think President Nixon declared war on drugs over 30 years ago. How are we doing on that war? Well, we're losing. In fact, I, I speak to a lot of Rotary Clubs, Kiwanis Clubs, Lions Clubs, and I start out my presentation by asking them a question. And the question is, do you think we can win the war on drugs? Now, let's define what winning war means. We won the Second World War. We don't fight the Germans and the Italians and the Japanese every once in a while. The war is over. We won it. It's done. Okay? That's what one war was. So if we win the war on drugs, that means we've taken the word marijuana and heroin out of the dictionary because we've defeated the drugs. They're gone. And I ask people to raise their hands, and nobody ever puts their hand up to think that's possible. So now let's change the discussion. If instead of talking about things like drug-free and winning the war on drugs, we start saying things like drugs are always going to be in our society, they're always going to be here, which group of people do you want to run the marketplace? Do you want it run by gangsters, thugs, and terrorists who have 13-year-old children selling drugs on street corners? Or do you think that maybe a licensed, regulated marketplace where we can set age limits and distribution points and control purity of drugs is a better system? 
system. Call me crazy, but I'm not a prohibitionist. I think that a better system is a regulated and controlled marketplace. And don't misunderstand me. I am not implying that if we legalize drugs, that is going to solve our alcohol problem. Just like when we legalized alcohol in 1933, that didn't solve our alcohol problem, mm -hmm. all right? This isn't going to solve our drug problem. We have to deal with our drug problem as an educational and a health care issue. So as well, long as you, well uh, wait, my question would be then, you know, some would say, I'm sure some of the people at the Rotary Clubs, by the way, I would like to go to the next time that you speak to them, because I would love to see their faces when you start your opening pitch. If you're legalizing drugs, doesn't that promote more usage? I don't know, does it? How many people do you think in America are not using cocaine because they can't get it? Oh, I'm, I'm, all right. Every it's single person that wants to get it is going to get it. Acquiring the drug is not what makes people decide to use it. It's all, all right? about demand and supply, right, Peter? As long as there's a demand, there's going to be a supply. That's just the entrepreneurial spirit of capitalism, I suspect. So we're saying we're going to take this down to its most minute point and say, just like a pack of cigarettes, if you choose not to smoke, you're not going to do heroin, you're not going to do cocaine. Well, if heroin was legalized, would you go out tomorrow and do heroin? No. Of course not. Of course not. Because I know what the effects are. Of that's course a, not. If you exact. wanted heroin, you can get it today just about anywhere sure. in the city. Well, that, well it's interesting when you mention right tobacco. Now. It's interesting when you mention tobacco, because one of the comments I get from people all the time is, if we legalize drugs, what kind of a message does that send to our children? It's condoning. It's saying the drugs are really okay. Well, I like to use tobacco. And I, if you ask any tobacco smoker who's been smoking more than 20 years, if they ever felt condoned in this society, they'll tell you, oh yeah, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I felt absolutely condoned. Every place I walked into, there was an ashtray, I could smoke on an aeroplane all the way from New York to Los Angeles. You ask cigarette smokers today if they feel condoned. And they'll tell you no. They feel barely tolerated by the rest of society. And let's also point out another victory. We have gotten 50% of the adult cigarette smokers to quit smoking in the last 10 years. Without banning one cigarette, without burning or poisoning one tobacco field, just by simply making it less easy for people to smoke, and also by talking against it and pointing out the errors of it. That's the things that work. You know, the drug czar said the other day at a press conference, and I wish if you're ever at this press conference, because you people are in the news, you would ask the question that I always want to ask. He said that this drug issue in America is fundamentally a health care and an educational problem. And nobody asked him, what other health care and educational problems do you think we should use the criminal justice system as our main approach to? Hmm. Because Peter, I can't think of any. Peter, we're going to take a quick break. Stay right there. It is a group called LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. Peter Christ is here. Uh, and we've been talking about how alcohol All right, uh, prohibition... We're gonna, here's what... Uh, we're going to uh, take a quick break here and then come back uh, and play the balance of this. But I think he's answered a lot of questions and pretty effectively about the war on drugs. It's a money-making operation. Governments love it, but it's killing more people than the war on drugs. Some more interesting statistics he's going to bring up. Peter Chris, the guy that essentially helped make me a libertarian on the Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. It's 11:22. The guy who made me uh, literally turned me around on uh, the war on drugs and helped us uh, shepherd me out of the Republican Party. A guy named Peter Christ, former police captain in uh, New York. And, uh, Brian, I am going to go ahead and play some more of this. And, okay. and if we have to, we'll break, because he answers questions that you brought up during the break. So this is Peter Christ on the War on Drugs. He was doing an interview on television, 
and uh, he just knocks it out of the ballpark. Peter Christ is here, uh, and we've been talking about how alcohol prohibition uh, led to homicide rates increasing. So you say do away with all the laws and rules and regulations. Again, you can drink alcohol out in public. I don't know if I would want to see someone shooting up, you know, some heroin next to me somewhere. I don't That's where I'm thinking, you know what I'm saying? How do you combat that? I don't well, think that would happen, but I think this is a multi-billion dollar oh, illegal industry oh, sure. that's taking place right now here in America. But how do you combat those? I mean, because those would be the issues to face. Well, you, you set regulations. We are setting different regulations than we have ever had in this country for tobacco use. We are now preventing people from smoking in the park in some places, from smoking on the street. We don't allow people to walk down Main Street unless they change the laws since I retired. But it used to be illegal to walk down drinking a can of beer. You couldn't do that. So those are things we have to do. You know, I just want to remind you, in 1933, when we legalized alcohol, the federal government didn't legalize alcohol and set up a whole regulatory system for the country for alcohol. They basically got out of the prohibition business and said to the states, regulate it any way you want to. Uh, Mississippi didn't end their alcohol prohibition until around 1970, okay? They still, it was still prohibited. You still have dry counties in you some area. Those are local things to do. What we're trying to do is get the federal government out of the prohibition business and let the law enforcement go back to doing what they're supposed to be doing, and that's protecting people from each other. You know, 20 years of police work, working in the town of Tonawana, community about 80,000 people. I remember two incidents. One was a father who found out that his son had committed a rape and he turned his son into the police for that rape. Another one was a mother who found out that her son was committing burglaries and she turned her son in for committing burglaries. Not once in 20 years did a parent ever turn their child in for drugs. Not once. And I can't believe that out of 80,000 people, some mother or father didn't find in the sock drawer a little baggie with something in it. But when it was their child, the last thought in the world was to turn us over to the police. They found other ways to deal with that problem. And we as a society should find other ways. We have a five, 450,000 deaths a year. It used to be, it's probably down a little bit due to tobacco. 150,000 deaths a year due to alcohol. Now my question is, when you look at the all the illegal drugs and you only have 30,000 deaths a year from all illegal drugs combined, the question is, if prohibition is such a good idea, why don't we bring back alcohol prohibition and prohibit tobacco? If it's a good idea, let's do it with all the things we don't like. And the reality is, when I say that to people, they look at me and say, well, that doesn't work. And that's absolutely right. Prohibition doesn't work. Lydia has a question for you. Mr. Chris, we've gotten a lot of feedback in from a lot I of viewers. I am sure we have. I can imagine watching what you have to say and not and people not writing in about it. Uh, Bud wrote in, there are places in Asia that have no drugs. They execute people who sell, use, or manufacture drugs. Extreme, but effective. Um, we have one more comment. Well, we have several comments, but this one I'm going to read. Um, just from the legalization and taxation of marijuana in the smoking form only, not paper, clothing, fuels, etc. The profit after savings from anti-marijuana propaganda, courts and prosecution, as well as regulation in the U.S. as a whole would profit in upwards of 42 million annually. Can you speak to that? Well, absolutely. That's what we're talking about. We, we are spending $70 billion a year in this country trying to win this drug war. We could revert that to using that in our prison systems, in the treatment community. We can spend that money other ways. Plus, if we legalize it, I'm sure we're going to tax it. 
I'm, how, in America, we're not going to tax it? Of course we're going to tax it. We're going to generate income from it. Plus, we'll create jobs. Plus, we'll bring the hemp industry back, which was also outlawed in the 1930s when they outlawed marijuana. And the hemp industry is a very strong industry. And when you mention other countries, I had a guy come up to me after a rotary meeting a couple years ago and he said to me, well, you know what they do in Saudi Arabia if they catch you with drugs? And I said, yeah, and they take you down to the town square and they chop your head off. And he said smuggling, yeah, that's right. And I answered him with two answers. One was, Call me crazy, but when I think of countries I want America to be more like, uh, Saudi Arabia is not one of the first ones that pops into my head. <laughs> and two, you know what they do every year in Saudi Arabia when they catch people with drugs? They take them down to the town square and they chop their head off. And you know why they do it every year? Because it doesn't work. If it worked, the rest of the people see that head rolling through the courtyard, that'd be the end of the drug problem. But even that doesn't work. People choose to do this. The first attempt at prohibition that we have any historical record of started with these words. Do not eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Whoa. It was in the Garden of Eden. And the reason why it didn't and the reason why it didn't work is told you in Genesis, and it's because the creator, after creating the two people, granted them free will. Lydia, and that's what we're trying to outlaw. Lydia has one more quick question before we go to the break. We'll call on that one, but that's okay. Pete wrote in, he said, How much tax revenue would this actually generate if it was legalized? People would grow their own. Presumably employers would still be permitted to drug test employees cutting down job opportunities for those who take advantage of this. The police would need to acquire equipment to, to determine if drivers were under the influence of pot when pulled over. There's also the issue of secondhand smoke. It can make those around you high. Can you speak to that quickly? We don't have much time. Well, there's a bunch of stuff there, but obviously we have, we have driving while intoxicated by drug laws now, so that's not a problem. We have the secondhand smoke thing. We're dealing with that with tobacco by regulating where people can use it and so on and so forth, so that's not the problem. What was the first one you said on there? Um, uh, if it was legalized, people could uh, grow their own and employers would still That's have That's right. Drug and I know that everybody listening to me today, after they get done watching this show, will go outside and tend their tomato garden, right? You can grow your own tomatoes. You don't have to buy them from anybody. But you know what? The vast majority of us don't want to do that. So we'd much rather buy them at the store. Let's be honest about this. You can make your own alcohol, too. Very few people do it. That is not the situation. This will create a, a, an economy. It will get law enforcement out of this work and let us focus on pedophiles, people that are robbing from people, people that are harming other people, instead of going after people that are doing what they choose to do. Peter Chris, well, law enforcement against... I got to tell you, uh, that answers uh, just about all the questions. Brian, remember you were asking about where, you know, they'd, yes. where they'd be uh, using government programs to get... Well, great. Uh, then that's where the tax money goes uh, on the sale of these drugs. As I always say, if somebody in your family was addicted to drugs, where would you rather they buy their drugs? From a drugstore or from somebody uh, in the middle of the night in the middle of town on the worst side of the uh, uh, city? Uh, I would uh, I would argue the drugstore would be the better idea. Anybody want to... Uh, did that not answer almost every question you can think of? Just about. I think that, uh, you know, there's probably some unforeseen things that even you and I haven't considered as far as legalizing everything because obviously you and I don't want, uh, you know, to have to be stepping over, you know, drug addled people in front of businesses. And I know that there are regulations that say, hey, you can't come here, but hey, we have a homeless population now that we're having to physically move 
because they're infringing on property rights. And I just wonder if this would just increase that exponentially. Well, maybe we could eliminate alcohol and stop those <laughs> people who are addicted to alcohol from sleeping on the street. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. It's, it's more costly. All right. Gary Nolan Show, Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show. It's 1135. We just played uh, the audio from Peter Christ. He, you know, he pointed out that, yeah, if there are people who are on drugs, we're going to tax the sale of drugs. Use that to get anybody who needs counseling. Because that's one of the arguments. Are, well, they'll be taking, uh, you know, they'll be using uh, government funds to get off the drugs. Let's tax it. <clears throat> you don't have to tax it to the extent that it's cheaper to buy it in the black market. But states are, you know, here's a little known fact. And I've pointed this out uh, years ago. I don't know if, if people uh, are aware of this or not. They didn't legalize alcohol. They didn't end the prohibition of alcohol. Because they thought, well, this is a war we can't win. They legalized it because there was a federal excise tax on alcohol. And we were in a depression. And we had converted to the income tax and people weren't working. So the government needed the money. And we're seeing that right now with, uh, with the marijuana laws. A lot of states are going, well, we, you know, we can tax it. We'll make money on it. It's amazing how common sense doesn't prevail, but running out of government money, well, that brings about a, a rethink. Um, so that's, that's why we ended prohibition. It was because we needed, you know, the federal government needed the money. We were in a depression, and there was an excise tax on it. All right, uh, there is relief for auto manufacturers in the United States. They go to some of these southern states that are right-to-work states, and, uh, and, and they have uh, an advantage down there. If they, if they move to Michigan, uh, then uh, they're stuck. They, gotta, they got these uh, big union deals. Southerners don't seem quite as willing to join the unions. But apparently... Uh, the unions are making some sway. They announced that more than half the workers at a Volkswagen plant in Tennessee signed union cards, and it's vowing that this is only the beginning. More than half the workers at that auto assembly plant in Chattanooga signed cards signaling they want to be represented by the United, United Auto Workers Union. And they got those signatures in under two months. So that would indicate there's some level of enthusiasm. I'm wondering if um, anybody sees the, how ludicrous it is that a union can tell an employer, you will deal with us. Somebody, a union that has nothing invested in the corporation... They didn't start the company. They don't own the company. Uh, in many cases, uh, they don't even work for the company. But they get to dictate to the company how they will deal with their employees. I, I find it outrageous, and it is because of the Department of Labor that this, uh, that this is uh, possible. If you work for me, these are the wages. If you agree to these wages, 
Come on in. We'll put you to work. You'll feed your family. If you think I should be paid more and you come to me and you ask, I'll say, well, why should I pay you more? What's, what's in it for me and the corporation? Well, I work hard and I've created some shortcuts that save you money and, well, all right, now that's worth considering. But if you come to me and say, I, I deserve more just because I, you know, you're making more money, and that's essentially what the unions argue. Corporations making more money, so we're entitled to more money. No, you're not. And if you think you're worth 75 or 100 bucks an hour, and I'm not paying you that kind of money, I would suggest you validate your worth by finding somebody who will pay you that kind of money. You think you're worth it? I'm not going to give it to you. Go find someone who will. But you don't have that with the union. The union says, we think they're worth more money than you're paying them. Pay them or we're just going to shut you down. We're going to destroy your business. We're not going to let anybody drop off uh, uh, manufacturing things. We're not going to let uh, anybody go to work and, and make the stuff that we're not making because we're on strike. We will destroy you if you don't pay us what we think we're worth. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I don't see that as being uh, the American way. I just don't. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Mike uh, says, uh, I know this is off topic for today, but in Nebraska, they have an organization pushing hard for a consumption tax, which would eliminate income tax uh, and property tax. Oh, I love it, Mike. I love it. I, I didn't know they were doing that in Nebraska. Be nice if we did that here in Missouri, wouldn't it? Can you imagine if the only tax forms you had to fill out were for the federal government? Can you imagine if you spent, you know, like 35 or 40 bucks to get your license plates and that was it? You didn't have to pay real estate tax? Can you imagine what your mortgage payment would look like without that real estate tax and that money going into escrow? Could you imagine how much interest you could have accrued over the years if instead of putting it, uh, that money in escrow to pay the real estate tax, you had it in a savings account or some other investment? I did not know that Nebraska was going that far, uh, Mike, but I wish we would go that far here. Just, it, it, I even, I've been pushing for years for us to do it at the federal level. God, that would just destroy the, the uh, control freaks. That would destroy the control freaks. You, you'd be able to earn whatever you want and not have to report it to them. And all of the thousands upon thousands of pages of rules and regulations that would disappear... You make an investment, you get a return, it's none of their business. They don't get to know how much you're saving or what you're spending or what charitable contributions you're making. 
Holy Toledo. Somebody could come in to the United States across the southern border or the northern border. Uh, or they could land in uh, the east or west coast. It doesn't matter. They could go out and get a job. And the moment they buy a stick of gum, they'd be paying taxes. We were just talking about the war on drugs. All those people who are making all that big money on, on uh, the sale of illicit drugs. Well, all of that money would get taxed. The moment they went out and bought a Ferrari, they'd pay tax. They're not paying income tax and all that money that they're getting from the drug war. That money is, you know, being stored and stashed and drizzled out as uh, carefully as they can because they don't want to have to pay any income tax on it. They don't have to. They don't want to have to explain how they got so rich. But if you went to the fair tax, they would be taxed. I'm just saying. Uh, I, I like the idea, uh, Mike. Thank you for the uh, for the message. Eight seven four ninety three ninety toll free numbers eight hundred. Five two nine five five seven two. Coming back to wrap it up on the Gary Nolan Show. It's the Zimmer Radio Network. It's eleven forty nine. Mayorkas uh, and the impeachment uh, vote. It went down in flames yesterday. I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but I'm uh, at the Daily Wire website, and they uh, they're talking about this gender affirming care. Health and Human Services uh, says it only has two pages of scientific evidence backing its support for gender-affirming care. And then there's this close-up of this clown, uh, Rachel uh, Levine, uh, the guy who is uh, totally screwed up. Uh, It turns out that uh, they really don't have any scientific evidence and that there were uh, studies that they didn't even look at, wouldn't even look at, uh, including the revision of one of the studies they support uh, there was a revision of one of the studies that support uh, getting this gender-altering surgery. It's not really gender it's just body-altering. And, and the people who wrote that study came back and uh, said, well, this, is, this is wrong. Uh, LAUGHTER there's contrary evidence, and uh, and this is uh, this is wrong. These are one of the two studies, but they don't cover that part. They only cover the part that supports what Rachel Levine likes. Uh, the New York Times this month highlighted children who said that they were rushed into a gender transition and regretted it, and therapists who are now skeptical of an affirming model. Uh, Britain closed its transgender clinic, warned doctors that many youth are just going through a phase. Norway, Finland, and Sweden also found a lack of evidence that the benefits of hormones, puberty blockers, and surgeries outweigh the risks. Uh, The authors of this 2019 study that was used to support the idea that gender transition leads to mental stability corrected their study. They stated that their data demonstrated no advantage of surgery in relation to subsequent mood and anxiety disorders, uh, disorder-related health care visits. To the contrary, they said, individuals diagnosed with gender incongruence who had received gender-affirming surgery were more likely to be treated for anxiety disorders compared with individuals diagnosed with gender incongruence 
who had not received gender-affirming surgery. Democrats wake up. I don't, you know, I, they're, my second least favorite party is the Democrat Party. Most least, uh, the least would be the Socialist Party or the Green Party. Uh, and then uh, the Democrats. So I, I seldom give them advice that I think might help them somewhere down the road. Because I wish they would all, I wish the party would just dissolve. But I'm going to give you some advice. Because you're on the wrong side of biology. And you're on the wrong side of history. And you're destroying lives. You're going to regret your support for this transgender push crap. You're going to regret it. It is going to come back and hit you in the face. And there's no way in hell you're going to be able to blame the Republicans for this. The Republicans are pretty much hands-free. This is totally your baby. And you're screwing a pooch here. And the only reason I would give you advice as a Democrat that will save you is because I'm really trying to save these kids. Stop it. If you're a legislator listening to me right now, a Democrat, and you're, you're pushing this gender transition crap, stop right now. I'm telling you, you're going to regret it. And the sad thing is you'll only regret it. The kids whose lives get destroyed, they're the ones that are going to really suffer the consequences. And Democrats, you need to go into the schools. You control government schools. You need to go into the schools and tell them to knock this crap off. Because you're, you're literally destroying a, a generation of children. And I don't think stopping these puberty blockers uh, just automatically puts you back in, in sync and in, in where you should be. I don't think that's something you uh, fully recover from. So any interference, any interference with maturation is, I think, a long-term consequence for those uh, individuals. Stop it. Just stop it. My God, these people are crazy. They're, and for political gain, and I don't even know what the gain is. I've looked at this left, right, and backwards and forwards, Brian, and I cannot figure out how the Democrats think that somehow it is to their advantage to shove this down the throats of children today. I mean, I, I can see why this guy, Rachel Levine, is doing it. He's doing it because he wants to validate his own insanity, his own mental health problem. But the rest of the party, the rest of the Democrats... They're not, they're not doing it. They're not transgender and uh, they, they are not validating their own crazy behavior. They need to stop. Feel sorry for these kids. Mayorkas, uh, all right, so they did the vote last night. I watched it on TV. It turned out to be a dead heat. Uh, 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 I think it was uh, two, 214, 214, something like that. Uh, or 216. Uh, look, <clears throat> if it remained a dead heat, apparently it was dead and it couldn't come back, impeaching Mayorkas. Uh, one Republican switched to the negative side so that it, it was no longer a dead heat, 
and it uh, and it uh, goes down as a loser. But apparently, there is a, a bizarre rule in the house: if there's a tie, it can't be brought back. If, on the other hand, the uh, uh, the vote is lopsided, one side wins or loses, they can bring it back. Here's a little tip for the Republicans: don't bring it back. I just gave the uh, Democrats some advice. Let me give the other Republicans some advice. Mayorkas is an idiot. He's an incompetent. If he were replaced, it would be another incompetent because he'd be following Biden's rules. What he has done does not rise to the level uh, of, of impeachment. It's not high crimes and misdemeanors. It's just incompetency and stupidity. If you allow this to go through, if you find a way to uh, impeach him, we are going to go down a road that we're going to regret. It's going to be over and over and over again. Because Democrats, just like we, we learned uh, the nuclear option on, uh, on judges from the Democrats, the Democrats will learn impeaching cabinet members from the Republicans. And every time a Republican does what the Democrats think they shouldn't be doing, there will be an impeachment if they're in control of the House. And eventually they will gain control of the House. Don't do it. Dangerous precedent. I got time to take phone calls, Brian? Where am I at? Yes, I'm sir. Close here. And a half. All right, let me get Herb in here. Herb, good morning. Yeah, your question about why is this going on in the schools... Yeah. Okay, just go to check on goal number 17. Do you remember that one? No, I don't. Okay, get control of the schools. Use them as transmission belts for socialism and current communist propaganda. Uh, Lower or soften the curriculum. Get control of the teachers' unions and put the party line in in textbooks. Now, who became the head of curriculum for teachers' colleges in 2008? Who? You don't know? No, come just, on. come on, who? Come on, let's, let's Bill go. Ayers. Bill Ayers did, right? All right, we know what a moron he is, yep. Okay, but he, who, wait a minute, who's the moron? Who's the stupid people in the situation we find ourselves? I, I, don't, I don't have time for philosophical. Just make your case because I'm running out of time and you're making some good points. Go for it. Okay. Yeah, he, he controls the, the teacher's curriculum since 2008 when he became the head of the American Educational Research Association, which designs curriculum. And his goal has always been to destroy the United States of America. He- All right, that's it. I'm out of time, Herb. Good point made. Whatever it is in life that you want, go out and get it. Don't wait for the government to drop it in your lap. You make it happen. Seize the day. Carpe diem. Gwen, baby, honey, I'm coming home. 